greet you in the name of Jesus. It's good to be among young people tonight, isn't it, uh, Rich? <laughs> I appreciate your presence tonight, and uh, I love young families, young people. And I consider myself quite young yet as well, believe it or not. <clears throat> Thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Rich, thank you for those words. And I'd like to just read a few more verses there. In verse 8, the next verse says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. And persecuted, we're not persecuted tonight, but here it's, Paul was, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. We're always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And that's my desire tonight, that these circumstances that we have no control of, uh, you know, it could disrupt us, it could disturb us, and it could... Uh, bother us. It could give us uh, fear and anxiety and, and, uh, and, and maybe even disgust sometimes. It, it doesn't need to. Because we're, <clears throat> we're servants of the Lord who is in control of all of this. He's in our hearts. We have His presence with us. We don't have to be troubled, perplexed, and certainly not destroyed. Yeah, we have to make adjustments. And we have to uh, plan around, and we have to do things differently than we were planning on and we were accustomed to. Just today I was told, I was uh, informed that <clears throat> the Costa Rican government has now declared an emergency uh, state for the, govern the, the country and is allowing only residents and, and citizens to return, which would allow us to do that. We had not planned on returning until the 8th of April, but this, uh, this was extended at least to the 12th, and then a 14-day quarantine. And believe me, that, uh, doesn't, that does not sound good to me. So I don't know what the Lord will have, and we're just going to live a day at a time. I, I think we'll go ahead and sing this song tonight. And if you just stand with me and sing the song. Uh, you know, if we could keep our perspective of pilgrims and strangers here, this is not our home. And so these things that come in and, and seem to kind of um, <laughs> disrupt the normal flow, um, maybe shouldn't bother us too much. Um, at least we have something far better to look forward to, far greater, and we're just traveling through here. So if we have a few bumps along the way in our travels and our, in our journey, um, it shouldn't detour us at all. It shouldn't uh, disrupt in, a, in that sense because we've got something we're looking forward to. So let's sing that song tonight. <clears throat> we're only 
strangers and pilgrims. And let's just, uh, let's remember that. No soul, we're only strangers and pilgrims on our way home. In this dark foreign land filled with sin, fear, and pain, we will travel toward home, sowing seeds of good grain. Seeds of kindness and grace, seeds of mercy and truth, gladly sharing the news of the sinner's new birth. We're only strangers and pilgrims on our way home. We will call to the lost, we will welcome them in, we will bid them to turn from their blindness and sin, we will stand on the rock, not on frail shifting sand, and on Jesus the King build a house that will stand. We're only strangers and pilgrims on our way home. The harvest has come, time to gather the grain. Those who have been redeemed, washed and free from all stain. Now we're waiting to go where we'll never more roam. And more strangers and <clears throat> we'll be home. We're only strangers and pilgrims on our way home. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> There's a word missing there. Did you notice that in the last line there? On our way home. Don't know for sure how that happened. <clears throat> <clears throat> well, I trust we can turn our eyes toward the Master tonight and just allow him to speak to us. And I didn't count how many were here tonight, and I have no idea how many are listening in tonight. Uh, you know, I never aspired to that, uh, the kind of uh, the radio type of preaching where you just preach to a mic, and I'm glad I have somebody to look at tonight, too. But I'm also glad for uh, the possibility of many more people listening tonight than just those that are here. And so welcome to each one that is listening tonight and each one that is here. <clears throat> you know, this adjustment that we are experiencing it makes me think a lot, and I suppose you have been thinking a lot, too. There was an article by Marshall Sagal in, 
desiring God. I don't know how many of you have um, have seen that, but I read that which seemed to me to put things into perspective, uh, maybe more of a God perspective. And I, I think it's important that as we face these uncertainties of, of uh, a day-to-day, new things all the time, I think it's important that we maintain a very solid God perspective. And I'd like to just share a few things. This is the pre-sermon, I guess. You know, one of the things that makes people panic is the unknown. Probably one of the biggest things, the factor, one of the biggest factors in panic is the fear of the unknown, the awful fear of what we don't know. And underneath the fear of the unknown is that, in this case, is the pervasive fear of death. You know, that's what people are afraid of. Not necessarily afraid of a virus as such. We have viruses all the time. We live with them all the time and we get them every winter, every, every year. But this is not kind of an unknown virus or not, you know, we don't know how we're going to react to this kind of thing. And so the fear that's out there is the fear of death. You know, the ultimate, uh, where, where it could lead to. An interesting quote from C.S. Lewis, and he said, he gave this quote in regards to war. And so, um, not sure if it fits 100%, but he said this, and I think there's, there's some truth there. What does war do to death? Or in this case, we could say, what does the coronavirus do to death? It certainly does not make it more frequent. It doesn't, does it? A hundred percent of us will die. So not more people are going to die because of a virus. So what is it? It forces us to remember, it, it, can be, it can put deaths earlier, yeah, but it won't um, eliminate. We'll all have to die. So he says, it can put deaths earlier. It forces us to remember it. It makes death real to us. And that, had, that, and that would have been regarded as one of its blessings by most of the great Christians of the past. And, and if you go on and read what uh, Rich was reading in, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul was of that persuasion. You know, death is... Uh, looking, he's looking forward to it. The reality of death has not changed. What has changed over the last several weeks is that now we are cons- consciously considering what will inevitably, and pardon me, inevitably happen to each and every one of us. <laughs> We're just all at one's face. You know, something that's going to happen to us anyway suddenly kind of comes up in the forefront. And we are, if we're willing to hear and receive what God is saying through this outbreak, even an awful deadly virus might become a strange and bitter mercy. Most of the world may be deaf to the divine warning. 
in a global pandemic. But the Lord of heaven, who governs every germ and every molecule in the universe, says to anyone with ears to hear, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus' words about whom to fear. And what we need to fear is that spiritual um, onslaught into our lives. That's what we really need to fear. So in the, ver pardon me, the warning in verse 28 comes with a remarkable promise. Did you know that the promise for those who fear God and don't fear the pandemic find refuge in him? In the very next verse, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of much more value than the sparrows. I think that's a godly perspective. I think that's what God wants us to remember. There's nothing going to happen to us that he doesn't allow, doesn't ordain, at least uh, allow. And so tonight... We're under that protection, under a divine being that knows everything and is in control of everything. And in, just like to read two verses or two passages, short passages here yet, in Luke 21, 25 and 26. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. And on the earth will be anxiety of nations with perplexity. And I was just thinking, I don't remember ever seeing so much perplexity and anxiety as we see today. I don't remember ever seeing that like it is today. The sea and the waves roaring, men fainting from fear and expecting those things which have come on the earth. For the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. This is talking about uh, either the destruction of Jerusalem or the second coming of Christ. Maybe Christ is coming soon. I don't know. He sure could. But the condition of the world certainly is what it, how it describes it here. Anxiety. Perplexity. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, Verse 7 through 11, Peter says then what we should do with that. Casting all your anxiety onto him, for he cares for you. Be sensible and vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking someone he may devour, whom firmly resist in the faith knowing that the same afflictions in the world are being completed in your brotherhood. But the God of all grace, who he is calling us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little, he will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you.
To him be the glory and the might forever and ever. Amen. This is the word for us, I believe. After you've suffered a little, after we've gone through this, may this be a, a moment, a time of strengthening, of drawing together, of confirming, and being established. Let's not let this shake us too much. Because he says you can cast your anxiety, you should cast all your anxiety on him. That's what God wants us to do tonight. Before we go on, let's just pause for prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we want to give to you any anxiety, any fear that we may have in our hearts. And pray, O oh God, the peace which passeth all understanding, the heart and life of each one here tonight and each one listening. Lord, help us to to see things the way you see them. Help us, Lord, tonight recognize that you are in control of everything, every molecule, every germ. And so, God, tonight, help us just to place any anxiety and fear that we have to your shoulders. You have asked us to do that, and we want to do that. Tonight, I pray that the distractions that might come and that the enemy would like to plant into our hearts and our minds, that you would guard us from them, and you would help us, O oh God, to turn our eyes toward you, turn our hearts toward you, Lord, and allow you to speak to us tonight. We are here, Father, for you to speak to us, and we invite you to do that. In the name of Jesus, amen. So last night, we were talking about the prodigal son and his awful, terrible decision that he made to leave home and to go into a faraway country. And we ended in seeing the poor man uh, destitute. And instead of having a uh, being a, a rich young man with all his inheritance, he was a poor man, not knowing where his next mouthful of food was going to come from. So tonight we'd like to continue that in Luke chapter 15. And tonight I would like to look at repentance. The road of repentance. You know, tonight... Christ offers us the road back home. And this man found, came to his senses, and found his way back home. Tonight we'd like to look and examine some of the dynamics and elements of repentance that I think as Christians we need to understand. And uh, repentance is something that, that happens needs to happen at the initial decision point when we turn back to Christ. But repentance is kind of a way of life. Our, our hearts need to be continually repentant, continually turned toward God whenever there is a distraction, whenever we turn 
away. Our eyes might get uh, drawn away. Then repentance needs to turn us back onto the road. And while we're probably thinking more tonight of, of the, the soul that has strayed from God and has turned his back on God, these elements of repentance are the dynamics that we all need to live and daily live. So let's first of all try to understand the condition of this lost son, the parable we often call it the parable of the prodigal son, uh, meaning that he came back home after he had done these awful things, but he was also lost in the context, as we were seeing last night, of Jesus' teaching. He was teaching about uh, those that are lost, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and then the lost son. And ultimately, he looked at the older son as well. Was he lost as well? So this son finds himself in a far country. He had succeeded in putting a great distance between him and his authority. And I don't know what his relationship was with his father, but obviously it was not one of respect. It was not one of appreciation. And it was not one of a probably of obedience. But now he had succeeded in getting out from under that. And he was a long ways off from home, and his dad no longer had authority over him as such. And here he wasted his substance, it says, in riotous living. Reckless living, wasting what he had. This young man apparently pulled out all the stops. And he was living in a deception that this is life. I've made it. I can do what I want to do, and I can live the way I want to. This is freedom. What a lie. What a deception. And Satan does that all the time. Thinking, or making people believe that slipping out from underneath authority and structure, he will find freedom. An awful lie. It is awful. He thought he was free, but he was not free. And things did not go well for him. Oh, they did for a while. Yeah, he really had a good time for a while, he thought. But things really did not go well. It says a mighty famine came into the land. And this was at the same time, apparently, that he had spent all his money. And now there was no work. He found himself in a desperate situation. No more money. No more food. And not a job. He had been living so high. And all at once, everything ground to a halt. <laughs> Thing, the... the Circumstances changed from him, for him suddenly. His lifestyle had demanded money to keep going like this. And now all at once, he didn't have money. 
his lifestyle drastically had to change. And now instead of having all he wanted to waste, he, he didn't even have enough to fill his stomach. It was a serious condition. And so desperate was he that he finally found a job with a hog farmer. And you know, this was something that Jews would never do. I don't think we can quite grasp how low he went to survive here. Because for Jew, feeding a hog was the last thing he would do. In fact, for a Jew to stand in front of a hog as he was fed apparently was a tremendous degradation for him. Just standing in front of a hog as he was fed. But to have to stoop to feed them, imagine this young man. This must have been the greatest humiliation imaginable. He was desperate. He had to do something to survive. And he even wanted to eat the stuff that he was giving to those hogs. I don't know what that stuff was. But in general, when I see people giving food to hogs, I would not be tempted to eat it. Although in Costa Rica, they give, they give hogs bananas, sometimes, and pineapple. So maybe it was something like that, but, but he, it seemed almost like he wasn't even able to eat that. It was a desperate situation. So this is how we find this young man, desperation to the ultimate. You know, often comfortable circumstances lead to not thinking very seriously. And I had to think of that in, in, the, in terms of our present situation. We, we were rolling along pretty comfortably, weren't we? And it, there's a tendency for us to kind of forget to depend on God when things go really well. And when we face some difficult situations in our life, it tends, we tend then to think more seriously about our relationship with God and our need for Him, our dependence on Him. When there is a crisis, or desperation, our sense of need rises and reality sets in because we always need God. And, and when we feel comfortable and, and kind of feel like we don't need God, that's, that's not reality. That's a lie. That's a deception. And it's easy to fall into that. So the scriptures say here that he... When he came to himself, it says in verse 17, he came to himself. What does that insinuate? This term insinuates that this young man was uh, loco. Do you use that? Do you know what loco? Loco in Spanish is like, like crazy, deranged, like, like uh, not thinking uh, well, not thinking right, insane. So the folly that he was in, that foolishness that he was in, apparently you know, coming to himself, indicates that he had been living in a, in a situation or in a, in a state of insaneness or not thinking right. He just was not thinking right. We know that. 
And the Bible puts it fairly, fairly, uh, fairly strong. He came to himself. He came out of his insaneness. He came out of his being crazy. And you know, as I was thinking of that, that is really the condition of the person that has walked away from God or has, is far from God. It's not. It's not a good, it's not, it's not thinking well. It's not thinking right. It's, it's a little bit insane even. Maybe quite insane. Some have knowingly allowed themselves to be led by the influence of their evil passions away from God. And it's contrary to their better judgment, but just being drawn away from God. You know, that's not smart. That's not even intelligent. That's not, that's not good thinking. But Satan has a way of blinding our eyes and that gratification, that self-gratification, instant gratification often kicks in and, and we lose the picture and do crazy things, make wrong choices. We don't think right. We don't think sanely. We don't think intelligently. So he was led, like it says in Ecclesiastes 9.3, uncontrollably by the madness of their hearts, it says there. He was led, and many people are being led by the, that madness of the heart. The Bible makes it clear that those who spurn God are making a really foolish decision. And yes, rejecting God is the most foolish thing that we can, we can do. But he came to himself. The beauty of this expression here is the turnaround. 180 degrees. He came to himself. He was going this way. He went this way. This is repentance. This is what repentance is all about. Turning around, coming to oneself, all at once realizing the insanity of the, the, the situation I'm in and the decisions I've made. Coming to oneself, finally being able to see things clearly, finally being able to think right. And the blinds of this young man were being removed. I'd like to just delve into this a little bit more, this thing of turning around, this, this um, repentance idea. And I think we have some very important concepts of repentance in this young man's step here. First of all, it seems that his impetus for, for making this decision was largely centered around his circumstances. He was, in a, he was in dire straits. He was in bad shape. And that kind of woke him up. It jolted him. You know, what in the world am I doing here? This is insane. This is really not what I should be doing. What did I think? What am I thinking? And so the, what, what drove him... To, make, to begin to think right and to come to himself was the circumstances that he found himself in. 
He said, this is absolutely crazy. Here I am starving to death, not having enough food, not being able to live like a decent person can. And my dad's peonies, my dad's helpers, they're living well. They have all the food they need. And here I am, a son, living much worse off than they are. What in the world is wrong with me? So, first of all, his, it was his circumstances in this case that jolted him, woke him up. Then we notice a, a, a second uh, action or, or effort here by this young man. He says, I will arise. And I think this is very, very significant. Because here he made a decision. First of all, he was kind of, he was woke up to, the, to, to the, the, the condition that he was in. And it, and it kind of scared him, or it kind of, it really woke him up. But, he's, but he made a decision upon that. He said, I will arise. He had to take that step. He had to take a first step. He was ready to get up and out of that deplorable condition and do something about it. But he had to take that initiative. He had to make that decision. Nobody, nobody was going to make it for him. And he knew what to do. He knew where to go. But just, not, just knowing did not get him anywhere. He had to make that decision, I will arise. He had to get up. And this was really a momentous decision for him. Extremely consequential. And very, very crucial. And he said, I will arise and I will go to my father. Part of his decision was not only getting up and getting out of there, but decision of where to go now. And this is so beautiful. Back to where that separation had been in the beginning. It was with his father that he had a problem. It was with his home that he was separated from. And he said, I will go back there. This was such an important decision. He could have decided to get up and try something else. Maybe if I go to another place, maybe things will be better there. At least they wouldn't have a famine there, and, and maybe I could get a job somewhere else. But no, this young man knew where he needed to go. Fortunately, he had come to himself, and he was no longer thinking all the lies that the enemy was, would, would have liked to give to him. How important it was for him to go back to where he had left off, to where he had gone wrong. And I think that is so important. That is one of the elements that, yes, is important for the person that has walked away from God and, and is, uh, is walking after the world and after the enemy. But it's also so important with us in, as Christians you know, sometimes we, we find ourselves in, in, a, in a situation where things aren't right. 
And maybe we have a, a relationship that has gone south. And we, we just can't relate anymore to the brother. And, and, and there might be reasons for that. But where, how are we going to reestablish? How are we going to reconstruct that and, and, um, and, and fix up that relationship? We need to go back where we were separated. We need to go back to the thing that, that divided us and deal with that. Repentance is going back to the point where we, turning around and going back to where we had started, where we left, where we went wrong. And we can make a lot of applications there. But the return road in this young man's life and in our lives many, many times is the same road that led him so far from his father. And when I think of this story and think of the different aspects of this story, my mind can't help but think of a, of a scenario a little less than a year ago. After we had been working so long and hard to try to help our daughter see that those decisions that she was making were wrong and would lead in the wrong direction and would, she would have to reap, she would have to suffer for these decisions that she was making and how much that hurt us and how much that, that um, was so heavy on us. We saw that her decision had been made. We no longer were able to, to give her direction as much as we had tried. And so one evening, we sat down with her and I said, you know, we are really disappointed with the decisions that you are making. It hurts us. We just know that you will be hurt even more than you have been by the decisions that you are making. And we don't want that. We want something better for you than the decisions that you're making. We, and, and we're doing it because we love you. We don't want to see you suffer more. But you're making a decision. And we've tried. We've tried and we've tried to to show you that this is not what you want. But I said, you are going to have to make this decision. I cannot make it for you. I told her once, if I could, I would. If, if I could die to make that decision for her, I would. But I can't, much as I would like to. So I told her, I, want, I, I wish I could make this decision for you, but you're the one that's going to have to make it. And I'm going to have to step back. That was so hard to do. I'm going to have to step back and let you take that road if that's what you decided to do. I said, I feel like the fathers of the prodigal son, and I want you to know you're making this decision, but I'm going to be here. I'm going to wait for you. I want you to know that you can come home. You can come back. And this father is still waiting.
This young man had to restore his relationship with his father because it was with his father that he had been separated from. It was nowhere else where he could find restoration. So repentance turns us around. It turns us back again to where we came from, retracing the steps. Repentance takes care of everything that we have done wrong, our wrong decisions and our wrong attitudes and our wrong responses. Repentance seeks to turn all of those around and, and, and take care of them. As I said, this young man would have had other roads he could have taken. But none of them would have led to home where he had to go. There's only one road that can take us home. And then we go on. He says um, in verse 18, I will arise, I will go to my father, and I will say unto him. And I think this is significant as well. <coughs> I love this. This just adds solidity and resolution to what he was, his decision. He, had, he was making a decision here, and he even rehearsed what he was going to say. And I don't know if you've had this experience. When you know you need to go and make something right with someone, um, you know, just to, to decide to do it, it's often really difficult. But then, upon deciding, then I have also found myself sometimes rehearsing, now, now how can I say this? And how can I, I you know, you want to be, um, you want to be careful what you say. Because we can repent and hang on <laughs> to, to self. And defend or, or justify what we've done. And that's a partial repentance, maybe we could say. But repentance in its, in its depth means total responsibility for the, for the actions that we have taken. So here he was rehearsing. He was, after all, in a really bad way. He had shunned his father's love. He would taken and spent all that had been given him. Imagine coming back home to his father. You know, I, I can't imagine the humility that that must have taken for him to go back after he had his backpack full of all those provisions. I don't know how much money that he took along, but... It, he was given a part of the farm, apparently. And here he went to come back with nothing and having wasted all of it. He didn't have anything to show except some rags for what he had done with that. It took courage. It took a lot of courage for him to do that. It must have been difficult. 
what he was doing was an admission that he had been totally wrong. He wanted to get it right. He even wanted to say it right. <laughs> what he had resolved to say, what he decided to say, tells us so much about what was going on inside, about the condition of his heart, the extent of his repentance. He had a real conversion experience, I believe, here, in the sense of turning around 180 degrees in every, in every aspect. This pig pen conversion was a real one. And this, what he has to say, tells us of how serious he really was about the decision that he was making. It was a heart decision that went 100%. He wasn't looking for a 50-50 arrangement here. Uh, Dad, I, you know, I, I made some mistakes. I kind of goofed here. Um, and maybe I wouldn't have gone if, if, if my brother would have treated me better and if you would have uh, taken me more into consideration. But I'm coming back. And we, could we work something out here? That was not. <laughs> that was not his heart at all. It tells us somewhat of the desperation of his, this moment. And it tells us it, it also speaks of his willingness to do whatever it took. It looks like he was willing to do whatever it took to get back next to his father. And that just impresses me. That just, that just blesses me. And you know, I believe for this restoration to actually be successful... The condition that he was feeling in his heart was necessary. That kind of desperation, that kind of humility, that kind of, of, of putting himself way to the bottom. We have here a picture of one who has placed everything on the altar. He didn't have anything left. There were no longer any rights to demand. Remember, this young man was one to demand rights. This is my right. I have a right to the inheritance. Give me my inheritance. This was a man who was used to demanding rights. And I suppose his life of, of debauchery, I suppose that that's the way he lived. man who was looking out for himself, living it up, demanding whatever he wanted for himself, he would get... But how different was this, what he was expressing? From how he had expressed it before. I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. This was his rehearsal of what he was going to say to his father. This to me is tremendously significant. I have sinned against heaven, I have sinned against God, and I have sinned against you. First of all, he recognized this was not just a mistake. This was not just an error of judgment. This was sin. I have sinned. 
Repentance requires that. True repentance demands that we recognize we have sinned. I have sinned. <coughs> I have not just made a mistake. You know, I see this so often. Sin, first of all, let me just say this. Sin is, first of all, a, 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 an offense against God. All sin we commit against men, against each other, against ourselves, is really sinning against God. And he recognized that. God is the one who is ultimately offended. God is the ultimate one who is, um, who, who is, is hurt by this, shall we say. So he recognized that although his his action was against his father, but the, he, was, he was actually sinning against God. So important. And you know, I notice a lot of times in, maybe you don't have that problem here, but we certainly face it here. Sometimes when people are kind of um, caught in something that they shouldn't be doing, and uh, so they should be making some recognition of what they have done. And sometimes I'm just so uncomfortable with the type of recognitions that are made. Um, so we start out like this. Well, you know, I, we all make mistakes, and I happen to make one. Uh, and, and just make sure that we, everybody knows that, yeah, I made a mistake, but it's something that everybody does. You don't have that problem here. Good. Um, or, or, you know, I, I, I had kind of an a, a error in my judgment. I should have done something different, but um, because of a, a bit of a, an error in my judgment, it, it turned out this way. Sometimes I've heard people stand up and say, you know, uh, brothers, I'd like to make a clarification. And uh, so-and-so happened, and, and of course, in the course of the, 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 the explanation, um, there's a good bit of sharing of responsibility in what was done. I uh, just want you to know that this is the way it was, and, and uh, I, I need to clarify so that you don't... Well, that's not repentance. Let me just tell you. I have sinned is a mark of repentance. It's so important, but it's so hard to say. So easy to soft pedal when we make a, when we sin, when we make a mistake, when we err. It's not easy for us to say, I have sinned. So one of the chief evidence of true repentance is found when one recognizes that the sin he has committed is not only against the person to whom he has done harm, or he is offended, but it's against God. And, and we're not going to take time to look at this, but if you wanted to see another heart that was truly repentant, look at Psalm 51. David, after he had sinned so awfully, recognized that his sin was against God. It was, and he hurt some people, something terrible. And by recognizing that our sin is against God, it doesn't minimize the terrible hurt that we've caused to people. 
in, in fact, I think it should, it should put it in perspective and, and help us to understand, hey, this was a big thing. Yeah, I hurt God. First of all, I hurt these people. Repentance admits that. Repentance accepts that. And then he goes on to say, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Wow, this young man is getting a grasp on things. His humility, and I'm impressed by this. True repentance shows true humility. And I, it also shows something else. I am impressed that this young man, when he came to the end of himself, turned back home. And we want to look at that more later. But he turned to the place where he knew he could go. Isn't that beautiful? He did not expect to find what he did when he got home, but he knew his father well enough that I think the, the, the plan that he was conniving here, he thought his father would accept that. He knew it well enough that this was the place to go. He had to go back to his father. It shows that there was a love there on the part of his father. He was drawn to that love. But at the same time, he also recognized that he did not deserve that. And that is so impressive here. This young man knew he was no longer demanding his rights. He was trying to, to slip in the back door and, and get a little bit of the crumbs You know, he, he recognized he no, no longer deserved any of what he had before. But he thought maybe there would be a slight concession and his father would let him be a servant. Despite his rebellion, his awful disrespect for his dad, he knew something about his father's love. And this was drawing him to come back home. He thought he could at least approach his dad and make this humble request. He wanted to be close again. I really believe that, his, that that was his drawing power, even though he was maybe woke up because of the dire circumstances he had found himself in. So instead of demanding any rights or privileges, he wanted only to be a servant. And I think he was at least partly aware of the cost at which he was making this decision what this repentance would entail. He was willing to do it. Okay, let's just bring this home now. What does it mean for you and me today? This picture of repentance is so refreshing to me and so heartwarming. The story brings out so vividly, so drastic, so, so vividly the dynamics of what true repentance is all about. And whether we have spurned our father as the prodigal son did or not really doesn't matter that much. You know, there's people who have never really rebelled that seriously against God or their parents. But at one point or another, we find 
as young people, we find that we are separated from God. We discover that. And that requires repentance. Whether we have been openly rebellious or not, all of us need repentance. Not one of us is good enough to come to God and be accepted by God without true repentance. And recognizing who we are, every person, absolutely every person that wants to be in good standing with God needs repentance. A recognition of being a sinner and of having sinned. And as I said before, repentance should become a way of life for us because we do sin. We're not perfect. Even after we've come back to the Father, we, we, we make mistakes. We, we hurt people. We make wrong decisions. We respond uh, in the wrong kind of way. And all of those things that we do that are wrong need repentance. And that requires a turning around 180 degrees. And if we can just remember some of the dynamics of, of, of true repentance of this young man, it will help us to find true freedom from the, the guilt and from the, the error that we have, we have committed. So how can we determine if one is truly repentant? I think true repentance can often be recognized, and I'm talking now about the repentance in someone else, but sometimes we're left wondering. True repentance, I think, is, is uh, marked by a godly sorrow, a remorse for what we have done. I think true repentance will reflect that, that uh, remorse or that a disappointment in what we have done and our, our, how sorry we are that we have done that. True repentance is a 180 turnaround. It means doing differently. It means living differently. It means that there is a, uh, a change from what we had been doing. It means a new life. It means a new character. It means new conversation a new goal and new ambition. True repentance has the characteristics of the younger sons coming to himself and saying, I will go to my father. I have sinned. True repentance takes full responsibility for my actions and not ways to soft pedal what I have done. I have sinned against God and against man. It, it recognized that sin is an offense, first of all, against God, and it recognized that it has not lived up to the standard of God's holiness. It also recognizes that it can never live to God's standard of holiness by his own power. And it recognizes as well that many offenses that we commit against some other person is a grave offense toward God. True repentance is willing to say, I am no longer worthy. To be a son, make me thy hired servant. In other words, 
True repentance does not demand its rights. It doesn't try to justify what it has done. And it doesn't demand any rights. Here I am. This is what I did. I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? And not set up the conditions that we'd like to see. True repentance doesn't demand rights. It submits to authority and is happy wherever God puts him. So tonight we notice that this story takes a beautiful turn. Repentance, a change of heart. The story is not finished yet, but the story has taken on a beautiful change in direction. Like the prodigal son, there is a road of repentance before us. If we wandered from home, if we have somehow failed God, if we have failed our brother, if we have wronged him, repentance is the way home. The repentance is the way to reconciliation. Repentance is the way to peace and joy again. And you know, we have never wandered so far away from home that we can't return. There are people who, who think that there isn't hope for me. And I want to reassure us all tonight. Anyone who is here, anyone who is listening, we've never gone so far from home that, we can, that the road leads back home if we turn around. God is calling for us to come home. If we have wandered from home or if there's something in our life that needs repentance, tonight God is asking us to do that. To just admit I've sinned. I've sinned before God. I've sinned before man. And I want to come home. I want this to be taken care of. I want, this, I want to be reconciled. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Father in heaven tonight, you know each of our hearts, and you know if there's something that is there that shouldn't be. You know if we're struggling with a relationship. You know, Father, if there is um, something in our life that we have hidden, something that we haven't repented of. You know, Lord, if we are far away from home, and have rebelled against you. And you know, Father, too, if we are beginning to realize our need of a Savior. And if you are awakening us to our lost condition, Father, you have made a way home for all of us. Thank you. Thank you, Father. And I just invite you to call each one of us tonight to come home. I pray your blessing on each one. Lord, be with each one of us tonight. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.